Hey, and welcome to Generation Changers Church Podcast. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Barry Smith. Now, um, we are talking about marriage, sex, and gender. And in this study, we have been guided by truth, which is the Word of God, and governed by grace because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The world says that marriage, sex, and gender is all fluid, that all of it is on a spectrum, and you can float in that spectrum and land wherever it meets your true identity. The Bible says marriage, sex, and gender is all fixed. It is binary. It is um, tied to principles and truths that cannot be changed or differentiated from. Now, uh, God's Word to me is unquestionable. I believe that it is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, the Bible. Now, I also believe that His creative work is perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, God did a good job on you. Some of you are going, God, what were you thinking? No. We've learned that whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits, right? God created one idea of marriage, Satan created a counterfeit. God created sex to be enjoyed within the marriage relationship he created, Satan created a cheap counterfeit. God made us male and female, Satan has, well, I don't know how he's going to do that one. But he's tried to create a counterfeit. If, if I may see what that counterfeit is, it would be in uh, my, my trip to Washington, D.C. last year when we were at the a restaurant that was supposed to represent the heartland of America, and we went to the restroom, and the door said, men, women, and the rest of us. And I think the rest of us is that area Satan's working in to try to take away true God-given identity. Now, as Christians, we find ourselves with a heavy weight of the word we carry and the world for which we are to have extreme compassion, and that weight gets heavier with each passing day. Not the majority voices, but the loudest voices in the culture are those who are pushing what we now know is a demonic doctrine on our nation. Media, entertainment, certain types of education, government, although their numbers do not match the numbers of everyday people, they control the machine that seeks to shape our values in the culture causing us to ordain what God denies and deny what God has ordained, okay? I will tell you that navigating between our strong biblical beliefs and our compassion for the culture gets tough on a believer when you feel like you're constantly under attack. Your values, your morals, your faith, yet somehow we are to maintain compassion For the people who are attacking our morals, our values, and our faith. It's not an easy thing to do. But what is our mandate from God? Today, we are going to countersink some of the nails we've been driving over the past couple of weeks and see what action God wants us to take. Now, the first thing I believe God is calling us to do is to stand firm in truth. I see the real value of the New Testament apostle Paul as he wrote to a spiritual son named Timothy. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming 
when people will not endure sound teaching. How many of you believe that time has come? So what do they do? But having itching ears, now every time somebody scratches their ear in church, you'll think they're one of them, right? Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How many of you remember, we've talked about a lot of the stuff we see in the culture today being part of pagan worship rituals, okay? We're there. As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, the first thing I see in these instructions to the body of Christ is this. We cannot preach for popularity. Timothy was called to preach the word. The word preach is caruso, which means to herald, to proclaim with genuine conviction. Okay? In other words, you can't just choose what you preach. You've got to be obedient to truth in what you preach. Now, the word is the word logos, which means to speak the divine utterance. So we are to speak the divine utterance with deep conviction. Okay? In season and out of season. When it is opportune, when it is inopportune. When it is popular, when it is unpopular, the instructions are the same. Preach the word. Can I get an amen? amen. Neither our love for people nor people's intolerance of truth relieves us of our responsibility to truth. We have to live it. We have to share it. That means we cannot normalize what God nullifies. Demonic forces work through cultural entities and icons in order to convince us to embrace what God forbids. You've heard me say before the way sin is systematically made acceptable in a culture is the first step is to sympathize with people who may be making simple choices, who may be having simple struggles. The next thing you do is you normalize the sin. If you will just go back, I mean, start on TV land if you want to, and go back for the past five decades, you will see that entertainment has normalized what God has forbidden. It's no big deal. Step three is you glamorize the people who have the courage to step out and be their true selves. A lot of magazine covers come to mind at this time in the message. Now, in the meantime, listen, the church is painted as possessing antiquated, even bigoted views, and the importance of the church is marginalized in the culture. So what does the church do? In order to regain acceptance, the church compromises principle for popularity. And if by no more than mere omission or silence, we become complicit in the sin of the culture. Okay? Here's the reason. When we fail to preach the truth, nobody gets set free. What did Jesus say? He told these religious Jewish men in John chapter 8, it's not your religious affiliation nor your spiritual heritage that frees you. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But when the truth isn't being preached, bondage is normalized. Chains are accommodated. 
So the first thing we have to do is we have to stand firm in the truth. We don't have a choice. God's word mandates it. The second thing we must be diligent about is we have to protect our children. Last week, we talked about how the Babylon spirit specifically attacks the youngest among us. And it is a fact that our children are being evangelized. I'm going to prove it to you today. How many of you parents paid for a college education and like a refund for about now? <laughs> you paid for an education, but what you did is you got an indoctrination. I like what, what, what Pastor Vody Bacham says. We got to quit complaining when we send our kids to uh, Caesar for education and complain when they come home acting like Romans. If you're paying for their Babylonian education, then it doesn't make sense to complain when they come back acting like Babylonians, right? But the demonic indoctrination that's been taking place on college campuses has found its way to younger people. According to Reuters, in their article, Youth in Transition, watch this, the diagnosis of youth 6 to 17 years old. This many, as a kid would say, six. The diagnosis of kids six to 17 with gender dysphoria, which is the uncomfortableness they feel between their birth gender and the, the gender they identify with, that number, listen now, that number from 2017 to 2021 tripled up to 42,000 children. It's even grown astronomically more in the past two years. Those taking puberty blockers doubled during that time. Those taking hormone therapy over doubled in the same time period. But listen, this is important. This study was taken from data in the following states. California, Massachusetts, New York, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington State the last of whom we know just made it illegal for children to leave their parents' home if their parents do not support their gender transition. Here's the reason I point that out. It is the areas in our nation where this doctrine is being preached that our kids are buying in. It is happening more in these areas than any other areas in the nation. But if you will look at the political narratives, if you will look at the cultural narratives in those areas, you will see they are being directly evangelized and by the rate of growth they're experiencing, it's working. Our children are being evangelized. Our children are also being objectified. According to Save the Children, 120 million young girls experience sexual exploitation, where some 60 million boys experience sexual exploitation. Now there is a new group with its own initials that's emerging, and it's, trying to be, it's at the point of trying to be normalized. We've been sympathizing with it, now we're normalizing it. Their initials are M-A-P, and that stands for minor attracted person. That real definition is pedophile. Okay? But you've seen news pieces 
where they're being very, very compassionate with this struggle and they're sympathizing. Now we're in the mode of normalizing. It won't be long till we move into glorifying and glamorizing. The United States, according to Save the Children, is one of the most active sex trafficking countries in the world. The major metropolises of this nation. I'm not giving this to you from a political group. These are groups that are trying to save children. And they're saying that this nation is one of the most active in the world that are sex trafficking and abusing children. And I want to tell you, there is judgment coming from that according to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Those who are evangelizing and objectifying our children, their day is coming and God's judgment will be severe. But if they're being evangelized, and they're being objectified, then we must do our best to make sure they are fortified. Hear me. As Jesus' followers, we all have a responsibility for the safety of our children. If we see something, we need to say something when it comes to children. Parents, you need to be vigilant in protecting your children. We have to stand together, the church and the home, because the rest of the culture is now positioned against them. And we must do everything that we possibly can to ensure that they are kept safe. Listen to me. We've got to make sure they're not introduced to the subject of human sexuality prematurely. Because foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And if you add that to foolishness, well, then you get what we've got. Hear me. At which time they are introduced to human sexuality... You need to control the narrative. You need to make sure Babylon doesn't teach them human sexuality. I want to read to you an excerpt from a book called The Hiding Place. It was the story of Corey Tim Boone, who was instrumental in hiding the Jews during, uh, during the German aggression to, in the Holocaust to kill them. And here's what she said. Sex, I was pretty sure, meant whether you were a boy or a girl. And sin made Tante Jans very angry. But what the two together meant, I could not imagine. And so seated next to my father in the train compartment, I suddenly asked, Father, what is sex sin? He turned and looked at me as he always did, answering a question. But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case from over the racks in our, over our heads, and set it on the floor. Will you carry this off the train, Corey, he asked. I stood up and tugged at it, but it was crammed with the watches and spare parts that he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said, and it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. Yeah. You be the communicator with your child. 
You be the one responsible to keep your child in church on a regular basis so they can continue hearing the truth. You be the one to stay involved in their lives on all levels. Declare and decree that the devil and Babylon are not going to raise your children and determine their future. That's determined by the Lord. And keep off of them the burden of information that is too heavy for them. We've got to stand firm in the truth and we've got to protect our children. Those are two things we have no choice about. But there's a third thing that God would have us do. And if we're going to be Jesus followers, we don't have a choice about the third one either. And that is, we must love like Jesus. Now, we cannot let the culture define love for us. Because the culture will say, if you do not fully embrace my choice, if you do not celebrate me, then you do not love me. Listen. It's not up to those who feel estranged from the love of God to define the love of God. Understand, as merciful as is our God, still his love does not condone sin. In 1 Corinthians, we call it the love chapter in the Bible. You'll hear it at most marriage retreats or weddings, you know. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing but a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And then we get to that part that says love never fails. And boy, that's when we, our hearts start beating. But the word used for love in 1 Corinthians 13 is the word agape. It means divine love. In other words, that's how Jesus loves agape. He loves with divine love. I want us to read just verse 6 about divine love. Watch this. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Loving like Jesus love, loves is not affirming people in their sin or their struggles. It's trying to help them see their value beyond that. He doesn't do that for me. He's not going to do it for anyone else. His love does not affirm sin or struggles that we may have. As a matter of fact, love demands truth. It rejoices in truth. Listen, we have to love people enough not to remain silent concerning truth. See, I took a risk preaching this series. I knew it. They were worried about, well, what if we have protesters, Pastor? I'm sure they were worried about, what if they don't come back next week, Pastor? It was a risk. I understand that speaking on these things in this kind of culture is a risk. But love has a responsibility to truth that we cannot shirk. And I have chosen to love you more than I fear you not loving me. And I'm only preaching on this subject because I felt divinely led of the Holy Spirit to do so. And I believe that was his love for all of us. Listen, love doesn't demand that I participate in Pride Month or Transgender Awareness Month. And I caution every believer not to participate in such things. Here's why. The Bible says on the list of the seven things that God hates most in two different forms, two of the five are pride. 
he doubles down on his disdain for pride, yet we're called to celebrate Pride Month. You will get emails June the 1st from major corporations reminding you to celebrate. You will be as if you were I walking through Walmart's parking lot with their new loudspeaker system, and they will be telling you and programming you going in and out of the door to celebrate Pride Month. You will see all of the decor and stuff change, and you will see this big Babylonian push in the culture. Hear me. God does not like pride. Anything that exalts man over him, he has nothing to do with. But just because I view a rainbow as God's promise and not gay pride does not mean I do not love people. Are you hearing me? Let me ask you by this illustration. Let's say we were hiking one of the trails in these beautiful Tennessee hills of ours. There's plenty of places to hike for people who aren't running short on oxygen. And there's beautiful scenes. And let's say you're taking a breath about halfway up. If you're like me, you're sitting down and I'm going to rest a minute. And a blind person comes walking down the trail. And because they're blind, they start heading for the edge of a cliff. You have a choice of whether to love them or not and how you love them. Do you cry out? Or do you stay silent? Because if you point out their blindness, it might offend them. What choice do you make? See, we make that choice all the time. We choose to be silent because we don't want to offend. And the whole time people in the culture are headed off the cliff into an eternity without God. Here's what I want to tell you. Love demands that you cry out from your heart. Stop. Turn around. You're headed to the edge and you're about to go over the cliff. Love demands that you cry out to save people from their own destruction. And if they get offended... I would rather them be offended and be alive than to not be offended and go off the cliff. See, love doesn't condone sin, but neither does love condemn sinners. (gasps) That's a good thing because according to Romans, All of us have fallen short of the glorious standard of God's righteousness, and we have sinned. While I may not join, while love may not join the parade, love does not judge the participants. Now, I don't want to get caught up in justifying one sin by another because that's the devil's trap. Sin is judged by God's righteous standard. That's the standard. So this is not judging one sin by another and say, well, it's no worse than this, it's no worse than that. But I will tell you, it is legitimately hypocritical for us to take such a strong stand against one type of sexual sin and then literally lay down to participate in another kind of sexual sin. And that's why the church looks hypocritical. Because there's so much heterosexual sin in the church And we're stained with the same sin as everybody else. And then we try to act righteous when it comes to homosexual sin or transgenderism or any of these things. Listen, 
Sexual sin is sexual sin. It doesn't matter the form. Hear me. Sexual sin is usually not about sex at all. It's usually about the brokenness of humanity. It's usually about the, the abuse or neglect that someone suffered at the hands of someone who should have loved them better than that. It's usually about the insecurities we feel from either or both of those things that have happened in our life. And loving people that God loves are caught like ping pong balls between cultural politics and judgmental religion. And they're right in between the two and they're being beat back and forth. I want you to understand we're serving a God that loves us greater than our ability to be unlovable. We're serving a God whose love is so righteous that we can't sin enough to make him not love us. Hear me. Broken people are in the middle of religious judgment and political ploys. You don't realize it, but if you're part of the LGBTQIA community, Politicians are using you. They're exploiting you and drawing attention to you while they do all kinds of evil on the other side where nobody's looking. And there are some churches, churches that judge you while they themselves are filled with a Jezebel spirit that's causing all kind of sexual immorality going on in the body of Christ. I didn't plan to go with this strong, but I must be being led by the Lord. Jesus was faced with such a person as the religious leaders found a man and a woman in the, in the act of sexual morality and they said to the man, we'll cover this bro, get out of here. And while they were not righteous enough to bring the man, they brought the woman before Jesus and said, Moses in the law says she must be stoned. Jesus does something so abstract he starts writing in the sand. And whatever he wrote caused the judgmental ones to drop their rocks. And Lord, I wish that would happen in the body today. I wish we'd drop our rocks. But whatever he wrote, maybe it was the name of the man. I don't know. That'd have been cool. That's what I would have done. <laughs> but whatever he wrote in the sand found forgiveness for this woman. See, when they came to talk to him about the law, they were talking to the one who wrote the law. And the hand that wrote the law of God in the mountain in stone built down in sand and wrote grace for that woman who stood before him. And he looks at her and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. See, the church has got to get the message order right. We've got to lead with neither do I condemn you. There is a point where we go and sin no more in that same sin. 
But grace first says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him, the world might be saved. Jesus didn't come to judge us. He came to save us. Wow. That's why I say, if you're struggling with homosexuality, gender dysphoria, pornography, adultery, whatever the sexual sin and sexual bondage is, I want you to come to this church. I want you to come. I got to warn you, there'll be times you'll be uncomfortable, but I want you to come. The one thing I never want you to know, the one thing I never want you to feel is that you're not loved. But I want you to come because I know your pain and I know the one who really loves you. And he can heal your brokenness. He can mend your heart. And he can restore your self-esteem. Who you've been is not who you have to always be. And what you do is not what you always have to do. I said I know your pain and I'm not just trying to make you feel better with that statement. Being honest. I know what it's like to be really broken really young. I know what it's like to have your heart crushed and then that brokenness drive you into a lifestyle of sexual immorality because that was me. I remember never really being able to feel love but always looking for it and having a twisted sense of what it actually was. I know what it's like to wreck wonderful relationships I know what it's like to be an awful person at the end of the day, ashamed of who I was when I laid down at night. I know what it's like to try to find love with several people, but surrendering that to God and going from broken to whole and healed. I know what it's like trying to find love everywhere and not feeling it, to being in a relationship with one woman where I feel that love every day. So what I'm telling you is behind the sin, behind the chains, behind all of the stuff, there's real people who are hurting and they're broken and God loves them and so should we. And they should feel, they should feel that love from God's church. So the invitation is going to be a little different today. I'm just going to ask you to stand if you would. I have but just a few minutes left before my jetpack takes off for Lebanon. One day, one day, my wife says I'll be traveling alone at that point, but... I'm getting one for two, honey, because where I am, there you may be also. Here's the invitation. Some of you have been through that brokenness in your past, and it impacts your marriage. It impacts your ability to feel love in, in your relationships and to truly give your best to love. Some of you, like me, that past creeps up to haunt you in your mind. 
Today, I live a life I don't deserve. And that's because of grace. But here's what I know. The same God that gave me the life better than I deserve is the same God that'll do it for you. I'm going to ask you to be real transparent. And and I don't want any spouses jumping down anybody's throat on the way home, okay? I'm going to be real stern with you. There's people in this room that need healing. They need their hearts mended. They're not bad people. They've just been through some bad things. So if you're struggling with pornography, adultery, homosexuality, gender dysphoria, maybe you've been through some things in your past that you've never healed from. Maybe you've had some abuse. Maybe somebody's hurt you in some way they never should have. Those things still come back and try to make you the sum of your struggle. Your mind battles them. But you know and believe that in Jesus you can be free. If that describes you, would you come up front? Because I want us to pray for each other. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to pray with you. I'm just here to let God heal us in the process. Just just come. See, you're in a, you're in a house of grace and mercy. We celebrate healing. We celebrate deliverance. Just keep coming. I want to pray with you. Just keep coming. We're going to pray right here together in a circle. Just keep coming. I want you to be honest. You may not feel comfortable, but just keep coming. I wasn't too comfortable telling you my stuff either. But I want you to know Jesus can heal it all. He can restore everything the enemy tried to take away from you. Some of you have been suffering since you were little girls or little boys. And it's been the plan of Satan to let your pain keep you down. But I declare healing in this room today in the name of Jesus. Somebody is worshiping with us on the internet right now. They've been through this same kind of stuff. Jesus is healing them in their living room, in their bedroom, or wherever they are. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. Here we are, broken by our life experiences, at times driven to behavior we did not even want to participate in because of our injuries and our brokenness. But today we thank you that we serve a God that did not come to condemn us but came to save us. And we thank you there's no brokenness or hurt in our life that you cannot and will not heal if we'll surrender it to you. So today, where there is pain, I speak peace. Where there is hurt, I speak healing in Jesus' name. Where there's brokenness, I speak beauty in Jesus' name. Wherever the devil has touched, whatever the enemy has come against, we declare freedom from those chains in Jesus' name. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, we are not the sum of our experiences. We're not the sum of the abuse carried out against us. We're not the sum of our of our spiritual mistakes. But in Jesus, we are truly blessed. We are highly favored. We are deeply loved. We are well. We are whole. We are healed. We are free. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe and receive it, give God a shout of praise in this room for his healing. 
Thanks for joining us today at Generation Changers Church. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. GC can now be your home church no matter where you live with GC Church Online. Watch weekly messages wherever you are with family and friends. Join our online family today by texting the word online to 615-488-7151. And let's do life together. If you would like more information, please visit gcchurch.tv. And special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or texting the word GIVE to 615-375-4286 or by going to gcchurch.tv and clicking the GIVE tab. God bless you and we'll see you next week.